0: You can learn a lot about yourself and about your own business by just having a beer and talking to somebody else who's in that same situation. They've got different backgrounds, different experiences. We won't get too philosophical, but we have more in common than we have different, especially when it's, you know, we're woodworkers. Introducing Astra HP,
1: the newest high-performance innovation in cutting-edge technology from Bits and Bits. Let me tell you what's new about it. It's incredibly thin, measuring at just 0.3 microns. It's also tougher than ever with an impressive 5,000 Vickers hardness. And it's specially designed to reduce friction and heat buildup, leading to cleaner cuts and longer tool life. Available now on all their newest Spiral CNC bits and router bits. So if you want to check it out yourself, go to bitsbits.com. That's B-I-T-S, B-I-T-S-B-I-T-S B-I-T-S, dot com. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Austin Waldo, owner of the Austin School of Furniture. There are a lot of different ways to run a furniture company. And similarly, there are a lot of different ways to have a career in the furniture industry, even if you don't have a furniture business yourself. Austin is a mix of both starting the Austin School of Furniture as well as running his own furniture business part-time. He is an example of someone who took their strong business and marketing background and found a way to be successful in the furniture industry without the traditional approach of just building furniture. So follow along as we talk about books over YouTube, the importance of your community, why part-time might be better, and much more. So let's start the episode. And hear about Austin's story in his own words.
0: I got a lot of my carpentry skills and interest from my grandfather, who was a wood turner when he retired. And so we would you know, go over to his house every Sunday and would help clean the shop and, and then he would teach me something. So the the skills that I learned were more on the general handiness side of things for uh, you know, being a kid that liked to build tree houses and was pretty decent at that, to high school, part-time jobs, and to, to college, and, and then that slowly turned to fine furniture. But started early building things, cutting things, that sort of uh, path into woodworking. But then, you know, I actually went to school for business and entrepreneurship and marketing and that was kind of the route that I chose to take as opposed to a full-time woodworker. I, I think my parents would have been more than happy to support me in that if I had decided to go straight into the trades, but that was really never discussed that that was even an option of, of, Hey, you could also go to trade school and there are woodworking schools that you could go to. That was just never, never brought up. That That's not something that a, a counselor will tell you in high school, uh, where it's a very legitimate you know, way to go about. And for a lot of people, that's the way to do it of the traditional trade school and then apprenticeship and then on to your, your own business. But for me, although I was a hobbyist woodworker and furniture maker for a very long time, I started off in the business world and and did that for a long time. And in a lot of ways are still doing that from a number of businesses that I run related to woodworking. I lived abroad for a time and then moved back and then really started getting into woodworking as a garage shop hobbyist. And then that grew to kind of side businesses while I was still working in the tech industry, doing some marketing. And those businesses continued to grow and to grow. And then a a more common story than you'll hear nowadays is in the pandemic happened and I got laid off. Uh, And interviewed for some more marketing jobs, but my heart wasn't really in it. And so then having already established a couple businesses in woodworking, decided to jump headfirst into that and continue to lean more into woodworking uh, as a profession.
1: I like to tell people who want to have a furniture company that you should go to business school like you did. You should take business classes. You should learn that side as well as the artistic side of the business. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is that once people do that and they really they start learning the business and the economics of running a furniture company, they start looking at it from a very different view, from a business side view. And they say, this is a very hard business to make a living in. And it's true. There's not a lot of margin. There's not a lot of opportunity for substantial monetary growth Mm -hmm. compared to a lot of other jobs out there. You can love this industry like a lot of us do and enjoy it, but if you wanna get rich, this isn't a get rich quick type business. When you were going to business school and you were learning about all this, how did your thoughts on running a furniture company change once you went to school and looked at it from this new lens?
0: I think in terms of business school definition, Pretty much everything has been true about about woodworking. Once you understand profit margin and scalability, it's very very true to to woodworking. And there are definitely scalable ways that you can you know grow a woodworking business on the education or content side. Um, and we I'm sure we will probably talk about that in a little bit. But one thing that people don't talk about enough is lifestyle and mental health and the idea that. Yes, money doesn't bring you happiness, but a certain amount of money brings you a certain amount of happiness or at least having a comfortability. And I so there, there's a trade-off. And I think it would be nice that if business schools discussed, you know, what's important. You know, is it being able to spend time with your family and working for yourself and being flexible or only having a nine to five and having benefits and making lots of money? You know, there there are pros and cons to every side of that you know, equation, but it was very much like if explained, if you want to make money, you have to do computer science, which, you know, is kind of the the route that everybody was taking. But there are a lot of ways that you can, you know, have side businesses to get that creativity or, or, or just, you know, go fully into it and work for yourself and what the trade-offs are, are for that. Cause I, I feel like entrepreneurship in a lot of ways has that romantic feeling to it as well as woodworking does where owning your own business by yourself is lonely and not enjoyable all the time. But sometimes uh, working till 5 p.m. and then going home and turning off and getting a paycheck is is nice. Uh, but then sometimes working for yourself is also nice. What we do in the future is a culmination of what we've done before in business
1: and in life. Mm-hmm. And being well-rounded and having having viewpoints from a lot of different industries really helps you with running your own business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you got out of school, you went into the world of tech and marketing for a number of years and you were successful in that. Mm -hmm. But then you got back into the world of furniture in the different ways that you are in it now. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what you learned in those industries that you still use today in the different businesses that you currently run?
0: Yeah, I think truly understanding the... Analytics and the technical aspects of marketing has been really, really beneficial to me. Of there are tons of of CMS uh, content management, you know, providers. So like WordPress and and Wix and all of those that are out there that allow for a furniture maker to make their website uh, themselves. But going a step further of customizing that website, you know, setting up your analytics platform and truly understanding what's happening my background in marketing and applying that to the school or the festival or woodworking that has been really really beneficial of really understanding how to read that data and then use that to my advantage of running ads or you know retargeting certain potential students or or attendees for the different businesses so understanding marketing data is really important that there are there are some kind of uh, very entry-level ways that furniture makers and woodworkers can get that experience. But for me, going to business school, running marketing and, and design teams for a while, picking that up on, on an industry level was really, really beneficial.
1: If we can, let's dig into that a little bit more because I think that you are the perfect person to be talking about this and that's why I want to have you on this show. You're understanding the back end of what's going on but you're also understanding what you need to get out of that back end mm-hmm. to make your website appeal to clients and customers to move your business forward. Mm-hmm. It's a broad topic and you know I could probably just throw a dart and hit an important topic that we could talk about for the rest of the show but right. since you're the expert here I'll let you take the lead on this and and what do you see as some of the key takeaways that people should really start to learn when they want to understand how to get more from their website?
0: Let's start, I think, in the simplest terms is, is probably search engine optimization. So somebody wants a piece of furniture, they're most likely going to go to Google and they're going to search for furniture, you know, furniture maker near me or, or some version of that and understanding a little bit of how that works is, is really helpful. And knowing that most people are searching on Google, there's the other ones that you want to focus on as well. And they're most likely only on the first page, or at least the top section. And if you're not in that area, the likelihood of of them reaching out to you is, is pretty low. Then understanding that there are these things called local results, and then how you show up in those, and all the things that you can do on your website to help you show up a little bit higher in those rankings, you know, is going to take you from people are only going to find you if you hand them your business card and said, this is me, look me up on my website to someone typing in furniture, making in a particular state or city, and you're going to pop up and you're going to start to get a lot of traffic. So taking some sort of business course related to digital marketing to understand, you know, SEO, I think is, is a huge thing. And that can be everything from just a really good fast website to the content that you have on there, what data goes along with all the photos, and then obviously having good content is a huge thing and what your URL is. So if if it's uh, really complex and has some weird ending, those are kind of fun, but they don't really (laughs) do that well on Google. So there's some basics of SEO that like woodworking, you could get onto YouTube and you could find 100,000 different courses on basic SEO and how to start optimizing on your own website.
1: A question I get asked a lot about from people starting their own furniture business is about naming their brand, naming their company. Mm -hmm. Today, when everything is so intertwined with the Internet, (laughs) picking a company name is so much more than just picking something that sounds good to you. For sure, yeah. There's this toss up between, do you name it your own name? Do you name it a random word? Do you name it something that's woodworking or furniture related? Or do you just go with something that is the best for search results? Mm -hmm. So what's your take on company names in general and being able to stand out in this digital world that we live in today?
0: That's a good question. Well, I mean, if you're using the school as any type of example, it's what are the most important things about understanding a business? It's probably where you are, who you are, and what you're doing. And all three of those are described in the name of the school of the Austin School of Furniture. I think if you can come up with a name that describes where you are, who you are, and what you do that's ideal. But one, that's not very fun. Uh, Two, it can be very long if you're trying to describe all three of those in a name. And so that, that causes all kinds of problems from URLs to social media handles to just being able for people to remember it. So I would try to keep it simple. I would try to keep it descriptive and... I don't think you have to necessarily always include woodworking or furniture making. I think there are different ways of using synonyms that you can kind of make it unique so it's memorable, but you don't want to get too crazy and, you know, describe it in a weird way that gives people the wrong thoughts about what you might do. Let's
1: talk now about the school and the festival that you run, because Mm -hmm. even though you do a lot of things in the furniture industry, those are two of the main things that you spend your time working on. Mm -hmm. But I guess before we get into that, if you could just give a little elevator pitch of what you have going on for people who might not be aware of it, Mm -hmm. because they're both exciting with a lot of very interesting classes and events going on throughout the year. Sure.
0: Yeah, the, the Austin School of Furniture came out of kind of came through a meetup that I had started that is a I call it a drinking club with a woodworking problem. And that club wanted classes and, and it was just a club. There's no business there. So I had started to research what a school might look like. And at the time I was actually taking some woodworking classes at the local community college where I met a gentleman named Philip Morley, um, and if you're not familiar with with him, you should definitely look up his work. Amazing furniture maker, and took a very traditional route into furniture making. Through he's he's English, and so went to you know a, a part time trade school at 14, and kind of worked his way through apprenticeships for. This isn't like a go and work for someone for three months. Like multiple seven, five or seven year apprenticeships into starting his own business. And is an amazing, amazing furniture maker. So started talking to him about a furniture school. And ironically, he was telling me that uh, just recently someone else had p- approached him about uh, starting a furniture school. And he said no, because they were a furniture maker that wanted to start a business with him. And although I kind of still argue this with him, he was like, well, you're not a furniture maker. You're a businessman that wants to start a furniture making school. And it's like, well, I, I don't agree with that. But sure, I, I get where he was coming from, where we started talking about an actual business that happened to teach people how to make furniture and what that would look like in a modern day, expensive tech focused city like Austin. And so started the school in 2018 and it was very much small evening classes, dip your toe in just to some really small projects. And that kind of grew over five years to We have a warehouse down in South Austin, it's about 5,000 square feet. And we're doing evening classes, daytime classes, weekend classes, much longer training programs, bringing in instructors from North America to teach specific classes, and then uh, all kinds of content related to furniture making. So there's something for all uh, experience levels and all backgrounds and all timelines where you can take an approach or a different way into woodworking than a you have to go to school for it or or a, a traditional kind of apprenticeship program.
1: With having this school, you get a very 10,000 foot view on this industry, on the furniture industry, whether it's people who are coming in as students trying to be a part of the furniture industry or teachers who are coming to the school mm-hmm. and already have established businesses of their own. Mm hmm. So you get kind of a clear picture of what's going on, this removed view of the furniture world. Right. Being able to see everything at once, the start of a career and the middle of a career and an established career. Is there a theme that you see or could share from all these different people about the world of furniture?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, at least the advice that I give to people is if, if you don't have to wholly rely on your furniture making to pay your bills, then I think you'll be much better off. So, I mean, that could be another job that could be teaching, that could be uh, making content, that could be making cabinetry. You know, there's all these different ways, but if you have some way that you can supplement your income and then also do the furniture making, I think you'll, you'll be better off. So I've seen that as kind of an industry indicator, but also as something that I would personally recommend for somebody where it's almost like, um, you know, your your risk should kind of equal your your skill level in a way, where if you are debating whether or not you should start a furniture making business, you know, what's the most expensive piece of furniture that you could feasibly make and sell and when you break that down to an hourly rate it's likely not going to be able to pay even minimum wage so if if your ability is not really high then you probably shouldn't start your own business and take on debt or or you know i would recommend don't take on debt if you don't have to at all but so how do you get your skill level to be that high where it makes sense to start your own business it's just to start like go make some cutting boards and sell them at a farmers market and you know, start there, get better, take classes, make furniture, sell it to your family and friends. Don't give away your furniture to your family and friends, charge them and get used to that, get clients. And then once your skill is really high or, or hopefully on its way to being there, then start a part-time business or a full-time business. I think have people often think that you have to be full-time to be a furniture maker it's completely acceptable to be a part-time furniture maker. And you, know, you might debatably have more fun that way.
1: <laughs> it's a lot about muscle memory, just like building things and knowing how to build things physically is physical muscle memory. And you have to be able to repeat that being able to run a business and being able to talk with clients and being able to do your pricing and the business side of it is really about muscle memory. And like you said, just jumping into mm-hmm. it, you can make all the plans you want to have a furniture company, but if you jump in in the deep end and you don't know how to swim, you don't have that muscle memory, you're going to not do well. I don't want to say you'll fail because I hope that everybody succeeds, but you need to have that that background. And that's mm-hmm. what I guess taking classes in your mind would would give. There are people who are are not in areas where there are classes. And so I know that you would say, fly out to Austin. We'd be happy to have you there. <laughs> but, you know, woodworking schools aren't aren't incredibly prevalent all over this country and all over the world. There's a lot, but there's also people who aren't close to them. What are some things that you could say people should be doing to practice and to learn on their own so maybe they get up to that Level and that skill level, and they're starting to sell things, and then they can go and actually take an apprenticeship or go to a school or something like that.
0: Yeah, I I would recommend the as the first step is get books or magazines, and I don't say get uh, go to YouTube first because I think just as much as there is amazing content on YouTube, there's also a lot of very incorrect material and content on YouTube, so. Getting a subscription to a magazine, or going to the library and getting woodworking books, and starting there to get yourself woodworking literate, and then jumping into woodworking is a or woodworking on YouTube is a great way to get started. And yes, there might not be schools in a particular area, but there's likely woodworkers in that area. Maybe there's a club or a guild that you could get into. Uh, if not, call up a woodworker and ask if, hey, I'll sweep the shop every Tuesday and you teach me a a woodworking thing here and there and see if they'll let you come work for them for, for free. Um, I will say, don't feel like you should get paid as a assistant just starting out. If, if you want to get in somewhere, you're going to have to put some skin in the game and, and offer to help for free. And then maybe they'll get around to being able to teach you and pay you. So I think any ways that you can take in, Knowledge and content before you start physically doing things, then I, I think that's a great way to get started.
1: Going back to the argument you were talking about before, and I just want to say that I know Philip, he's yeah, a, yeah. a great guy, and so I don't want to add to this argument between the two of you. Right? He right. said, You're not a furniture maker, you're a business person. You said, You're a furniture maker who also does business and you had that back and forth but the truth is that you actually do make furniture you have your own furniture business besides the other things that you do in this industry right so i would be remiss if on a furniture business show we didn't talk about your own furniture business let's talk about your company and how you're taking clients and at the same time being able to manage those clients while running all the things we've already talked about and more.
0: The the first thing that I typically do with a client is to explain my situation, which is my timeline. And it's like, hey, this piece is going to take me six months to make. And that does not mean that the piece will take me six months of time. It's just I might be able to do an hour this week. I might have a full week next week. I might not have any time next week. We'll we'll kind of just see what the, the schedule ends up being. So that's usually the the first part is explaining that situation. So, although I do commissioned work, I would say seventy five percent of what I'm doing is spec work, and that uh, essentially means I'll I'll pick a a style or a skill or a new technique uh, or or some you know doodle that I've done recently and decide to build a project around that and then try to sell it. And oftentimes that spec piece then leads to something custom. So as long as the the client is is okay with my weird timeline, then it works out well. So for instance, there's a, a really great furniture show here in Texas that's in Kerrville called the Texas Furniture Makers Show. And if you're in Texas, you should definitely check it out uh, or put a piece in. And, and that's a really good way to not only show off your work and meet other furniture makers, but uh, sell a piece potentially get new clients, things like that. So for someone like me that does a lot of spec work, galleries and furniture shows are a great way to actually offload those pieces.
1: Let's talk about pricing pieces for a part-time furniture maker like yourself. Mm -hmm. Pricing pieces out to be competitive in a world that you're not able to be competitive in because of your time and other things and other constraints that you need to focus on is hard. It's also hard to want to price competitively sometimes because this furniture is not your only paycheck and you think you can get away with maybe not charging as much as you feel like you need to. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, part-time people would love for their company to become to become their full-time job in the future. So they need to run their company with that in mind. As somebody who understands pricing models, all different pricing models, and also understands the different strains on part-time pricing, can you share your thoughts on that part of the business?
0: Yeah. I'm really lucky in the sense that I get to observe and learn from some of the best furniture makers in the United States. And almost all of them will, at some point, while teaching a class, discuss price and so I've heard a lot of a lot of strategies, uh, and even have a really good spreadsheet that I use uh, occasionally to to calculate prices. But l- like you mentioned, it's really hard for me to price work because I almost never will work on a piece uh, full out of starting Monday morning at, at eight a.m. and work on this piece till you know Friday at five. That. Doesn't doesn't happen for me. So for me to be able to track my hours is really difficult, but that's the first step that I would tell people to do is get some sort of app or a notepad or some way to truly understand how many hours it takes you to do a piece and think about it from a sense of, well, you also designed that piece. You probably also drove to the lumber yard. You know, how much physical time are you actually spending around that piece and most people will come up with an hourly rate for that amount of time and then that's it that's their calculation but there there really should be a markup on everything you're doing and a whole entire line item of just your profit of uh, the money you want to make above your materials and labor and expenses and uh, you might have a garage shop and so you're thinking well it's my house, it's my mortgage, you know, there's no, there's no bill there. It's like, you know, itemize that square footage, that electrical, that Wi-Fi, all of that, you add all that in insurance and business fees. And I think most people will be really surprised with that prices that they should be charging. And I mean, I, I'll typically say I'm not doing anything under a thousand dollars. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is, if it's a cutting board or it's a, a box, it's It's not worth thinking about it if it's if it's not um, you know, over a thousand. So I think once you start to think about all of those things of hourly rate and labor and operating expenses and profit, it's it's way more than people think they should be charging.
1: I always like to ask this question at the end to my guests and and the question is, for people who are starting out in this business and for people who are also, fully invested, and have been doing this for a while, but have hit a plateau, what advice would you share with those people for their business? And I feel like you're in a perfect position to answer this because you see people who are at the start of their business. They're coming in for their first woodworking class. They're, they're starting fresh, but you also have teachers, like you said, world renowned furniture makers coming in who are established in their careers and know what they're doing and so you see it from both sides daily. So, what's something that you would share with people listening to help them understand their business a little bit better?
0: I think I would probably, and I realize this is going to be more difficult for other people, but I think it's to actually be social. Uh, it, you know, that could mean an online forum. Facebook group, that could mean a woodworking club or guild, that could mean classes, that could mean, you know, driving to a a shop in your area. It's woodworking is inherently lonely if you're doing this by yourself. And we're all in that kind of same, you know, situation where you can learn a lot about yourself and about your own business by just having a beer and talking to somebody else who's in that same situation. They've got, Different backgrounds, different experiences, you know, you know, we won't get too philosophical, but we have more in common than we have different, especially when it's, you know, we're woodworkers, we have a lot to talk about. So I think my, my, however you want to look at it from classes to online to in person is just be social, go meet other woodworkers, see what they're doing you know, they might have a planer and you only have a joiner and you guys can be best friends and Millwood together and, you know, just go out and have fun with other people uh, and, you know, be social.
1: And that's what you do. You set up events and schools to have people come together and, and be social there. So I want to thank you for your advice, but I also want to thank you for making a place that people can come together and they can experience this joy and pain and everything in between that we feel about furniture making together with other people. So Austin, thank you. And I appreciate your time.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being social with me. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, Please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at hello@buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.